0: Welcome to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. I am your host, Michelle Gale. I'm also the author of the book by the same name, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose, which you can find on Amazon. If you have happened to have read it and wouldn't mind leaving a review for me on Amazon, that would be most appreciated. You can also go to my website, to join my community at BeAMindfulParent.com. And if you listen to this podcast and love it, leaving a review on iTunes would be amazing. Last but not least, I'm going to be at a retreat on the East Coast of the U.S. this year in Pennsylvania. It's a retreat for women, May 18th through the 20th, called Rise Gatherings. You can find them on RiseGatherings.com in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. I'll be leading multiple workshops on mindful parenting, as well as workshops on women's leadership, the mindfulness advantage in women's leadership. And if you use the code MICHELLE with two L's, you will receive $100 off your ticket price for the weekend. Thanks for being here. Welcome back to the podcast, you guys. I am here with a very dear friend, and a colleague. Her name is Lori Cameron. She is a mindful leadership consultant and the author of the upcoming book that's so awesome I've gotten a chance to read it called The Mindful Day, Practical Ways to Find Focus, Calm, and Joy from Morning to Evening, coming out in March of 2018, if you're listening to this ahead of time. Lori is the founder and CEO of Purpose Blue, an organization that brings evidence-based mindful leadership programs to companies, changemakers, culture shifters, universities, and federal agencies. And here's the really exciting part: Lori is a longtime student of Thich Nhat Han, a senior fellow at the Center of Advancement for Wellbeing and a guest professor at R.H. Smith Business School at University of Maryland. She is very fancy, and we are so happy that she's here with us.
1: Welcome, Lori. Hi, Michelle. It's so great to be with you. I'm so
0: happy to get to introduce you and your amazing book, The Mindful Day, to all of our listeners. It goes in so well with so much that I teach around parenting, which is to really think about what happens from the morning to the evening, and to think, how can we weave mindfulness into our day? Like you just,
1: you laid out the red carpet. Oh, thank you. You know, it's such a joy to write. And I've, I've loved all of our conversations that you and I have when we get together and talk about how we're doing it. You know, how we're just modeling the way for our kids and, and creating conditions for our kids to learn. About you know tapping into their bodies and being awake and alert and and being compassionate and kind to themselves and others. So it's you know it's always fun to to talk about that with you, and I'm so happy to be here. Mm. And so tell me um, the
0: inspiration for this book. I'm sure it's got to be woven somewhat into family life. Would you
1: share Uh, with us? Just absolutely. absolutely. You know, I I I dedicated the book to my daughter who's 13, and. Mm -hmm. Um, I really wanted to pull together a guide to really weave in all the mindsets and concepts and teachings of mindfulness, but in a through a lens that's really accessible and practical. And, you know, i got to say, Michelle, I was kind of thinking about if I was leaving something to my daughter that she could not only use now, I don't, you know, who knows if she'll read the book now as a middle schooler, but something that she'll always have to really teacher, what it means to be mindful, and, and how do we do it in an easy way. So so part of my inspiration was her, was being a mom. Mm-hmm. And um, National Geographic, who's a publisher, had the idea to create you know, this ultimate guide to mindfulness that is organized in a way where people can recognize the situations that they're in, from waking up to working out to connecting at breakfast to having difficult conversations at work. Uh, to engaging with kids and 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 creating, you know, nurturing bedtime routines. So they had this idea, and and I I really embraced it when they shared it with me. Mm. And then I put together a book proposal on how I would approach it. And then here we are. It's just a couple of weeks before it hits the bookstore. So it's oh, hard nice. to believe. So
0: exciting, congratulations. And what are you, now that it's come, people are starting to read it and you're probably starting to get more feedback on it. What, what is there anything that's surprising you
1: in the feedback um, what people are sharing? Well, yeah, you know, one of the things that surprised me from our friend, Rich, at Search Inside Yourself, you know, that we both- Rich Fernandez. Love, Rich Fernandez, who we both work with and adore. Um, you know, one of the things he recognized early on was that, it's, it's woven with personal stories. Mm. So there's a lot of stories and that all of the teachings or, you know, how to steps are supported by science. Mm. So he thought it was really cool that it, that it's at the intersection of personal stories, how to, and science. Mm. And what he, you know, what he said to me when he read it was, um, wow, you know, this is not only for people that are brand new to mindfulness but this book is really helpful for long-time practitioners. And and Dan Siegel also said that that for those who are new or experienced with awakening the heart and mind will find this useful. And that surprised me because I set out to write a book for people new to mindfulness. Mm. And I was really delighted to hear their feedback that, you know, even long-time practitioners we we still get reminded and supported when we can read and you know nourish ourselves with some of these these teachings. Yeah, what are
0: um, what are some of your favorite? practices and offerings from the book that you'd like to share with our listeners who are parents and who are having crazy days or right before we got on the podcast I had to go in to go to the restroom (laughs) before we started recording and like poop hit the fan while I was in there my son has all these food allergies and he wanted to eat popcorn and he couldn't and there was you know uh, all the way up and kind of helped him to kind of recover before I could get outside but I felt all of this you know Energy and oh my gosh! I'm supposed I've got Lori waiting out there, and I'm kind of here doing this. And like right, this is the stuff of our lives.
1: It is the stuff of our lives, isn't it? And you know, one of the things is um, that you and I both teach is that it really starts with us. You know, if we want to be mindful parents, it's not about you know teaching our kids what it means to be mindfulness. It's about having our own practice so that we can recenter ourselves and just kind of drop below the choppy waves of whatever's happening and, and access that, you know, that place of inner peace and just allow whatever's happening to happen. So I always start with, you know, reminding my friends and when I talk to parents and PTA groups and so on, that it begins with us. And then when it comes to a practice that I love to do with with kids that I started to do with Ava when she was really little and we still do is mindful walking mm. and that's one of the the core practices that Thich Ngan Han teaches if he you know if I had to pick two of his favorite it would be mindful breathing and mindful walking and my what we started to do with Ava and then I teach parents is to take evening walks and what i do is i don't of course call them mindfulness walks but i i tell ava to pick a different sense you know tonight you know do you want to take a walk where we smell everything or are we going to use our sight are we going to use are we going to listen for the sounds on the walk so we bring in the senses to the walk and you know she loves to pick the sense and then we share what we're discovering along the way and then we really connect to each other and we're, you know, off of screens and out in nature and and really just being awake and connected.
0: Ugh, that's such a good idea. I never thought to do that. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought to do that. That's so genius. And I could really imagine, you know, I think it might be a little bit trickier. You know, I have an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old. They're getting a little more, you know, a little jaded. You have to be even more sly. I <laughs> to, how to had to weave it in. But I certainly can imagine when they were younger, yeah. how exciting that would be. And certainly if they had grown up doing it the way your daughter has, that even in her teenage years, she can go out and so normal to her, right. To go out and experience the world that way.
1: You know, it, 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 it I did start with her, you know, when she was young, I think she did her first she did a three-day um, retreat when she was three up near you in the Russian River Valley with a bunch of Thich Nhat Hanh nuns and monks. And it, and it was really cool because we would all sit and the kids were just roaming freely, but they would see us sitting. And I know that's something that you and I both really believe in is that when, when our kids see us just in real life, like... You know, I'm going to go sit here and breathe for a little bit. Then even if they don't join us, they see us and they see how to weave it in. But um, I think, you know, even now I'll say, sometimes we do the census, but now she's 13. So, you know, I'll say, let's just take a walk. And I just need to feel the breeze on my cheeks and just get outside and see what we see. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, we have to be, we have to change the phrasing as they, as they get more kind of, you know, questioning and independent. In middle school and high school years, yeah. What are you finding? um, You know, having a middle schooler, what are you finding
0: as far as practice goes, and this experience of having raised her so much, you know, in the soup of of awareness and mindful living? What are you seeing? Some of the outcomes or moments where you're really feeling this practice is supporting you, or her, or both of you.
1: One, of the, I, I wish I had it in front of me. I got a note from her. I um, don't know, it was about a month ago. It was, it was on the back of some holiday wrapping paper, which doesn't mean it happened in December. It means I probably didn't clean up the holiday wrapping paper till you know mid-January. But <laughs> so she sees the roll of this paper and she writes, you know, like a sharpie on the back of it, a note to me. And she said, mommy, I'm, I'm real, or mom, now it's mom. Mom, I'm, you know, I'm really feeling upset. You know, I can feel it in my body. My stomach is, is jittery and, you know, my hands are tight and I'm not feeling well. And it was a really hard day at school. And she wrote about like her experience that day of feeling, you know, really unhappy and, and anxious. She does use the word anxious and stressed now. And that's a lot of kids in middle school use those words, which yeah. surprises me. But what I loved was that she started with writing about what she was feeling in her body. Hmm. And when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, some of this is sticking, you know, like yeah, get, it's working. Yeah. Cause what I try to do is when she comes, when she's upset or when she has, has a tough day, which there are many in middle school, you know, I try to say, okay, honey, you know, tell me what you're feeling in your body right now. Where are you feeling that? So, you know, I'm trying to direct her to awareness of the body, emotions begin there, and then ask her, like with some space, you know, not too much, but then gently say, you know, so what's going on? You know, what are you believing? You know, what, what are you thinking about the situation, about your teacher or that kid on the bus or whatever it is? So it's like gently bringing in the practices that you and I know in a formal way, in a very informal way. So we're teaching them, but they're not even aware of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you try to slip it in and and they hear it, you know, (laughs) or, or I say all the time, you know, I got, I was angry at my youngest son the other day. I don't remember why. Um, And I was definitely speaking in an angry tone and, you know, he gives me the zinger that he always does. You're not allowed to teach mindfulness. You shouldn't be allowed to teach mindfulness. You can't even control your anger, (laughs) but it becomes a teaching moment. Yes. Because I'm able to say, Oh no, no. You know, just because I do my meditation and I practice mindfulness doesn't mean that anger doesn't arise. You don't experience it from me that often because I'm able to meet it and be friends with it and say, Oh no, I'm not going to act on this. I'm going to choose to do something else. But sometimes it slips through, (laughs) you know, sometimes I'm a human, you know, just because you do mindfulness doesn't mean you never get angry.
1: And I I love that example because I think what I'm trying to do is normalize all the emotions that we have as human beings Mm -hmm. and, you know, let my daughter know, as you did with your son, that that's okay. That's normal. And anger is here. You know, I'm trying to teach her that, you know, anger is a passing physiological phenomenon like clouds across the sky and that, you know, right now I'm anxious or right now I'm really angry. Something happened to her at school this week and I was in, my husband and I went in and met with the principal and the counselor yesterday morning. It was really tough. And in the meeting, I kind of had this like, you know, you and I would say meta-awareness moment. Like I could see myself sitting at the principal's table realizing my daughter had this really difficult experience with this teacher. And I got really sad and I started to cry. And I told Ava last night about that. I said, you know, I'm really... I'm really sad that you're going through this. I'm really sorry. And this is what I'm feeling right now. And I'm just going to give myself space for that. And also to recognize that you're going through that. And, you know, that like kind of shining that light of mindfulness or awareness that Mm -hmm. we go through these experiences every day and we can acknowledge them and meet them with with compassion. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to make that like, okay, like she doesn't have to stuff it down. You know sometimes we do turn to more traditional ways you know we'll say I think it's time to watch a couple episodes of 30 rock yeah <laughs> sometimes that's just you've got to resort to it right. <laughs> but uh, other times you know we'll we'll try to talk about it or be with it and you know when she was little we did a lot with a uh, calming jar you know a mindfulness jar and you know putting glitter in a jar with water and using that as a metaphor for our emotions and thoughts and setting that to the side. In fact I've made, you know, probably 1500 of those jars in different elementary schools with kids. But now that she's in middle school and she's a, you know, a teen girl, I'm I'm more focusing on teaching her self-compassion because mm. I'm noticing that she's she's becoming hard on herself and, you know, judgmental or comparing herself to other girls in middle school and, and all of that is normal, but I also want to teach her how to soften, you know, that inner voice and, and to recognize that like all middle school kids are going through this hard stuff. Yeah. Like you're not alone, you know, difficult.
0: And that, you know, maybe some of our listeners haven't heard about that globe Um, sparkles you want to share a little bit about what that is and how you make it and you know how what it the metaphor is because I'm sure maybe some parents listening going wait
1: wait go back to that globe thing what do I do I will that that is such a great thing so you know we can all envision a snow globe you know that's got water in it and a little scene and and us and snow you know whirling around when we shake it up and we can make a very similar um Tool, if you will, for kids. And um, I, I have on my website on Purpose Blue, I have instructions for how to do that. So, and I call it the mindfulness jar. But what you do is you take like a mason jar and you fill it with water and a few, five drops of glycerin, which is important to help things slowly fall. Mm. And then what I do is have different. Um, little trays of glitter. And I have kids make it, you know, so they love to make things and say, you know, our mind is, is filled with thoughts and emotions and worries. And I have the kids sprinkle the glitter in, like naming what's in the mind. So what we're doing is teaching them to be separate from their thoughts. They can witness their thoughts just like we witnessed the glitter you know dropping into the jar, and then so they make it, and then we screw the top on sometimes we 'll put some you know cool washi tape around the edge and then and then we can even give them a sharpie and have them write on the top words that help them so i 'll sometimes say you can write breathe or calm or you know whatever you like, so kids get really creative there, <laughs> but we take the jar and then we say, so when you feel upset you know when you feel the the, you know, hot cheeks and, you know, I even have them say, what does it feel like when you get mad? Or what does it feel like when you're sad or when emotions are strong? So they learn to start naming emotions. And then I say, so, you know, when we get like that, our thoughts are swirling around and we shake the jar. So we, we, they start to see the jar as a metaphor for what's happening in our minds and bodies. And then I say, so when you feel like that, just take the jar and shake it up and then set it down. And then kids will set it down and they say, let's just watch the glitter slowly fall to the bottom and as we do that the thoughts and emotions can slowly settle they're still coming and going but our breath you know we're just breathing easily and they start to feel that shift in their in their body and their thoughts and they calm and it's just beautiful and we i've done this in schools and some of the teachers will let the kids keep the jars like in the windowsill in the classroom and kids can go up and get their jar and shake it up and like use it at their desk when they need to, mm-hmm. which is great because then they're, they're becoming resourceful yeah. and finding their own ways to, to, to manage in those moments. Oh, so
0: helpful. So helpful. And there's a great book. There's a few books, the children's books that use that. Um, oh God, now I'm forgetting it. Moody Cow. What is It's called Moody Cow. Oh, yeah. There's cool. a book, there's a book called Moody Cow and, and, you know, the wise old grandfather comes in and he does that with Moody Cow, who's just had a terrible day. You know, everything's gone wrong and he's just angry. And, and so the the wise old grandpa comes in and he does something similar. So that's the image I'm having in my mind.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's that's a great amazing. book. It's
0: a great book. I read it with my, my kids all the time when they were younger and you know, and I'm also as you're speaking, it's reminding me of something that's been coming up for me a lot recently. And I think mostly because you know, you and I are in a similar, we're in a training with Tar Brock and Jack Cornfield together. And, you know, I've done the search inside yourself training. I know that you're a facilitator in that. And I did a training with Mark Coleman. And so much of what we learn around mindfulness is about. Calm, right? Getting calm about managing our anxiety, like working with our sadness, right? Because that is usually what brings most of us to practice. Most of us who practice regularly came to it because there was suffering, right? That's mm-hmm. ge- generally why we come to practice. Something's wrong. But there's also, you know, that you can really experience the joy. So I've been trying to balance my teaching as much as I can in that, that we can also be really aware of happiness and joy and be able to experience it more fully.
1: Oh, Michelle, I'm so glad you brought that up. And, you know, the subtitle of the book has the word calm and the word joy in it. Oh, yes. I couldn't agree more. And um, we, you know, one of the core teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh is that we can access happiness and joy in any moment which many people find hard to believe, but we can, we can take a breath and in any moment we can find seeds of joy Mm -hmm. and we can amplify those. So I, I, you know, in the book, I have a balance of, you know, how to deal with the difficult moments and how to deal with stress and overwhelm and all of that. But I I give equal play, equal airtime to how to cultivate an optimistic outlook and how to How to train our our minds, you know, with not only training our minds, but having rituals and practices that have us generate gratitude and compassion and wonder and awe, which is, you know, so available in this beautiful, miraculous life we have, especially as parents. Because I think we can get really overwhelmed with all that we're balancing and just witnessing, just having a beginner's mind as we look at our kids, you know, this fresh eyes. One of the chapters I have is called seeing your loved ones with fresh eyes. You know, just looking at this miraculous, sweet human being in front of you and just taking a breath and just being like, wow, Mm -hmm. I am so privileged to be able to walk alongside this, this child. So I think that that is I'm really glad you brought that up. joy is is also what mindfulness brings. Yeah. It helps us pay attention to that and cultivate it. yeah, I love that. I love that idea of seeing
0: seeing you know, so we can just get into these similar patterns, particularly with our family, and everything feels you know the yeah. same and <laughs> And yeah. so to really like, Oh, what is, what is it? What's so interesting about this person today? Right. In this yeah. moment, like what makes me more interested in them? Like, what question do I want to ask them? Even if you don't ask them a question, just bringing yeah. that, that curiosity and excitement to our relationships. It was just not something we generally do.
1: No. And you know what I love about being a parent is, you know, our kids change so fast I know you witnessed that with your boys and, and your listeners do, is that we're, we're, we're observing our kids and we're falling in love with them and we're getting frustrated by them and all of that. And then, you know, when they're three and then all of a sudden they're five and they're really, really different, you know, even when they're four, mm-hmm. even six months later, like they're constantly changing. And now I'm looking at this this middle schooler and I'm like, wow. You know, yeah, the principal, um, when I was in the, the school office yesterday, she copied the letter. So my daughter filed this like report and the, t- the principal photocopied it and gave it to my husband and I and we read it. And she goes, you're going to be really amazed and proud of your, of your daughter when you read this. And when I read it, it was like parts of me didn't even realize that Ava processed the world that way. Hmm. You know, I, I, was, I was in awe. I was like, Wow. Look how she sees things. Look how she interprets things and stands up for herself. And so it was really neat. And I think we've got to remind ourselves to bring those fresh eyes to our children, that we see them freshly and not like label them and, you know, say that they're this way or that they're that way. Because before you know it, they're different. (laughs) They're different in different ways.
0: Yeah. They need something different from us. And it's, that's kind of part of the tricky part. And I, I just, I I just did a podcast on this prior to us uh, speaking, and that just launched, which was really around being okay with not being okay. And and sometimes we're not okay. You know, I had a mom in a uh, little morning workshop I was teaching the other day, talking about the sadness around adolescence. And how there's this push and pull and one minute he's slamming the door and the next minute he's leaning in, you know, wanting his mom and cuddling and wants a hug, but then doesn't want her to touch him. And, um, and just the hurt that can arise from that and how these practices can support that, right? We don't take it so personally. We cannot take, take situations in our life. So personally, we get a little bit of space from it and really be able to do what you were just pointing to, which is like, what, what? What, who is this human being in front of me right now? Right, there's a lot of hormones going on, and you know a lot of changes. And so I think it's so beautiful how you point to it because
1: that's so much of the work of parenting is being okay with not being okay. Yeah, I I, I love how you said that, and I think that's true. And there is there's a sadness, and you know in the beginning when Ava started, you know, pulling away from me and 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 becoming this. You know, I feel I feel like she's a little girl, but also a young woman. She's taller than me now. She's five nine. You know, and just to see her, like do what's developmentally normal, but also recognizes there's like this little bit of grieving in me. You know, a little bit of missing when she, when I was the you know the sun rose and set in me in her eyes. You know, now she's it's a dance back and forth, and to just. Almost like bring self-compassion to myself as a mom, too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, this is hard and beautiful that I get to witness this and mm-hmm. support her in that. And, you know, one of the things, with the, another practice that we started as a family, as a family ritual when she was little, that we'd still do not as, as regularly. We did it every Sunday night. We had a little family sangha at 7 p.m., But what we do um, is we sit together in the living room, we, we brew some tea, and we have a little incense thing. It sounds a little cliche, but we like that. <laughs> and and then we do we do a little breathing and 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 we work, we use the mindfulness bell. That's the part of the Thich Nhat Han tradition. So Ava would, you know, sound the bell, invite the bell, and then we would sit there and breathe for just a few minutes, not too long. Our dog was there. And we do that, and then we do something that Thich Nhat Han calls watering each other's flowers. And that's where we just go one by one and we we share appreciations for each other for that week. And they have to be, you know, current and they have to be specific. You know, you can't say, you know, you're a really, you know, kind person. You know, you have to say, Ava, when you unloaded the dishwasher last night, you know, I really appreciated that. and That made it really nice for me to just you know, go to bed when I was really tired, or, you know, Andreas, my husband, you know, thanks for coming out to pick me up at the airport. I know it was rush hour, and I really appreciate that when I was coming in from teaching in another city. So this has been so wonderful because as parents, I think we can get a little depleted sometimes. We we give a lot, do a lot, and we don't always notice. We don't realize that our, our kids and our spouses are appreciating us. And then it's been a way for us as parents to let, you know, our daughter know how we see her and how we're recognizing what she's doing. So that's just a practice I really wanted to share with your listeners because you could do it at bed, you know, bedtime or on the dinner table. You know, we set aside a little time each week on Sunday nights, but however you want to weave it in, I think it's a really, a really good one. I love that. I love that. Yeah.
0: It doing it around the dinner table would be a beautiful place to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what are some, you know, you've got the title of the book, the mindful day, practical ways to find focus, calm, and joy from morning to evening. What's one of your favorite morning practices, practical practices, and what's one of your favorite evening practices right now?
1: Um, okay. So for morning, um, one of the practices I have is listen to nature's symphony. (laughs) So (laughs) what that means is to try in your morning, if you can step outside, even for five minutes or even for two minutes. And if you live in the city, you know, can you go to a window or step out on your balcony and just use your senses and connect to nature before you finish rushing around the house and rushing out to work or to your home office. And, you know, for me right now, I live in a neighborhood with a lot of old trees and there's a lot of birds singing, you know, spring is coming. And just to go outside, whether you have your morning coffee or tea in your hand or not, to just tune into nature. So I, I love that morning practice. I did that recently. I was staying with our friends Mark Coleman and Laurie Schwann back in Sausalito. And each morning I would go out on their balcony and watch the birds Flying really low across the water and just listening to the sounds of nature. Mm. So that's a morning practice I love. Well, that was a book, and there it goes. (laughs) And an evening practice that I love is um, is sipping is enjoying evening tea. And you can do that individually. We also enjoy doing it as a family. And when we um, when we spend have spent time with Thich Nhat Hanh and his monasteries on On one week, um, Nhat Han actually taught my daughter how to drink tea and how to pour tea and sip tea. And I think tea can be a wonderful mindfulness practice because we can bring almost an an, an Asian, you know, Japanese or Chinese ceremony to it. So we're enjoying the brewing. We're enjoying the aroma. you know we we've we set it on a nice tray. We all sit down together, so we're unplugged from technology. And we, you know, we pour the tea slowly. We, we, we pick it up with two hands is what Thich Nhat Hanh teaches to really increase that presence and, you know, diminish multitasking and just sip it and just enjoy sipping tea. Mm. so simple, but it's a way to just be present and connected together.
0: And that's one of my morning practices actually is, you know, mine, it's not quite as exquisite or expansive, but it's, you know, putting the tea kettle on. My husband's like, why don't you just warm it up in the microwave? I'm like, no, I put the tea kettle, I get the water in there. I put on the stove, I wait for it to boil and I put my tea in the cup and, you know, feel the warmth on my hand and Uh first sip of tea in the morning. I love my tea in the morning. And sometimes, you know, I'm just... Can't wait for it, but I've got to do this. i got to do that. I got to pack for lunch. I got to get ready for work. And, you know, and just the tea doesn't happen. And when it happens, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's so amazing. Like, oh, my first sip of tea. And I just really try to take it in. So I love that you shared that because I share that practice with you. I just share it in the morning.
1: Oh, see, that's so great. And even the getting outside and listening to nature that I did in the morning, I love to do that in the evening because I call it happy hour. When I used to live in the East Bay in California, and we had some redwood trees in the backyard, and it happens here too, like all the birds, if you listen, like right around 5.30 or, you know, when it's dusk, they all start chirping, you know, madly. So, and i like, oh, it's bird happy hour. Let's go outside and listen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love so, that. You know, I think these, these, these people think, you know, I have no time to practice mindfulness, but I think we can find ways to weave it in.
0: Yeah, we can.
1: And that's why, you know, that's what the book is about. It's just, how do I weave mindfulness into the day that I already have?
0: Beautiful, beautiful. And that feels feels like a really sweet ending for us. I just, you've given so much. I mean, you've given so many ideas and so much to offer. And, and I just love that. It feels like a really nice disclosing. Like, we can weave this into our day-to-day lives. It's possible. And you can learn how to do it reading Lori's book. I'm so excited for it to come out. I'm so excited for people to to be able to read it and have it in their hands. Can you share with us a little bit more how people can find you as far as on your website?
1: Oh, thank you, Michelle. Yes, I would love, I invite people to join my mindfulness community at PurposeBlue, purposeblue.com. And um, you know, there I've I, you know, I've got a blog and I share tips and guided meditations and so on to just help people integrate mindfulness into their lives. And I I really encourage people to buy the book. It, it would just be wonderful. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever books are sold. And if you can please leave yourself a post-it note to write a review on Amazon when it goes on sale. Um, it's pre-order now, but if you can leave a review, as Michelle knows. W- reviews mean so much to us. So thank you in advance if you do that. I really
0: appreciate it. <laughs> oh well, thank you for all you've brought to to my community here. I really mm-hmm. appreciate it, Lori. Thanks yeah. for sharing, sharing your your practical offerings and so much of your sweet spirit. We really appreciate it. Oh,
1: thank you, Michelle.
0: Yeah. And we're gonna say goodbye to our listeners. Thank you for spending this time with us. May you meet this moment fully. May you meet this moment with kindness towards
1: yourself and others. Thanks for listening to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. Michelle's new book, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose, is now available at Amazon and at MindfulParentingBook.com. Get your copy today.